Well, good morning. It's good to see that we have committed Southern California people here still wearing their uh, reefs and flip-flops and stuff in this frigid cold weather. Um, it's really great to be here with you, um, bring you greetings, and uh, these are not just throwaway words, but we, we bring you greetings and love from uh, Pathway Bible Church, the church that I'm one of the pastors of. Some of you might know um, Richard Lee and Dan Lee uh, from, from way, way back, um, and so they bring you uh, special greetings as well. Um, yeah, we as a church, uh, we've heard, we, you know, and since we've heard, we've prayed. So just to, to let you know that. And uh, yeah, we, we're really, really thankful. So I, I've been sent by Pathway Bible Church to come and fellowship with you and minister God's word with you, and it's our great privilege to do that together. So if you have your Bibles, if you wouldn't mind, turn to Psalm 46, Psalm 46. And in one sense, I want to kind of take you away from and just kind of give you a little, little bit of a break from all, this, all the stuff that's going on. And I just want you to, you know, as, as uh, we're enjoined by the sons of Korah at the end of Psalm 46, just to be still and know that God is God, okay? Um, and, I, and I also want you to, to take a break because I, I would be a fool to, to think that, you know, what's going on at church is the only thing that's going on in your life. You guys have families, you guys have kids, you guys have work, you guys have school, you guys have all these things going on in your life, and because we live in a sinful world, I know that that doesn't always work smoothly. Whatever, whatever uh, uh, smoothness, whatever things that go well is by the grace of God, and you know that. And so we just want to just kind of stop, and I kind of want to be your cheerleader this morning, okay? Because that's the tone and the, the tenor of this psalm, as the sons of Korah wrote this song, and pen these words. It's, it's really the, just to cheer you on and just to remind us that the Lord of hosts is with us. God, who is our refuge and strength, cares for us, protects us. So, just wanted to spend some time there, okay? So, if uh, have the slides. Great. So, I'm going to step to the side here. And uh, let me read for us this Psalm 46. Psalm 46. This is the reading of God's word. For the choir director, a psalm of the sons of Korah, set to Alamoth, a psalm. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, and though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar, the kingdoms tottered, he raised his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolations in the earth, who makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving or be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Would you pray with me? Our great God, we want to come before you recognizing who you are. You are the God to whom all glory does belong and will practically own in the coming days when Jesus comes and when you fulfill all your plans and purposes according to your word. You will be exalted, not just among your people Israel, but in all nations, all throughout the earth. And we want to remind ourselves that you, this victorious king, are with us. We confess, Lord, that the dust of life sometimes gets kicked up by us and the things around us that get so thick that we lose sight of who you are. So, Father, I pray that you would open up the eyes of our heart to settle the dust and that we would, as we've been enjoined, to be still 
and cease from striving, cease from thrashing about, and to know that you, the victorious King, are our God, and therefore our refuge and strength. So I pray your rich encouragement upon this congregation, and even conviction of sin, and that we would all run to the Son and find our refuge in Him and kiss the Son and love Him and honor Him and treasure Him above all treasures. Pray that You would do this mighty thing for Your great name. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So, if you're running the slides, I'll just say next, and if you can do that, that'd be great. So, Psalm 46 says, to be still and not fear. Have you ever been in a situation where, and I know you have, because I I know that this world is broken, and if you haven't, you just haven't lived life long enough as a Christian. Have you ever been in a situation where it just seems hopeless? As much as you try, as much as the effort that you put in, it just seems like you go two steps forward, one step back, three steps forward, one step back. You keep trying, you keep talking, you keep praying, and the answers don't seem to come. Things don't seem to change. Sometimes they just get worse. Sometimes, sometimes the circumstances are, are knock the wind out of you and upend you, and you lie flat on your back, just hanging on, just breathing. Whoa, that was really unexpected. That came out of nowhere. That blindsided me. I know that happens. And that has happened to me too. Especially that sense of you try your hardest and things don't change, it seems. Well, this psalm is a a psalm to remind us and encourage us and cheer us on to keep going, don't give up, keep pressing on. Why? It's because God is with us. And that's, that's really, at the, end, at the end of the day, that's what I want to remind you and remind myself of, is that God is, with, God is with you. God is with you. Just to stop and remember that. And I also, what I want to do is to, to remind us that our greatest enemy, the greatest danger that we face, is not the things here that you see and can touch and feel the things that happen to you. It's your greatest enemy is you and your sin before a holy God. And that we can find refuge in the Son. And praise God that He saves sinners. Because without Him, we would be done for. So, with that, the sons of Korah pen this letter and they they give you kind of testimony. You know how when you go through something, something difficult, it's, it's good to talk to somebody who cares for you, but it's better to talk to somebody who's been through it, something similar, who cares for you, right? So that's what the sons of Korah are doing. They write, and they pen some two experiences, okay? And you, you have that in your outline, describing that God is our refuge and strength when these two situations happen. So you can flip through the next one. During catastrophic upheavals in creation, okay? And that's verses 1 through 3. The next one you'll see, God is our refuge during staggering and overwhelming opposition, verses 4 through 7. And the last one is, God is our refuge. And this is where, you know, the the big thing, come behold our victorious king, our victorious Lord of hosts, okay? So the psalmist is writing in such a way, and I'm going to try and fill in a lot of historical background that, that I would suggest to you, because... The, our God is a real God. And as I prayed, sometimes the, the dust of life gets kicked up. We kick it up ourselves. We thrash about circumstances that happen around us. Kids go to the hospital. Our, our parents you know, are on their deathbed. Whatever it is, cancer comes unexpectedly. 
whatever it is, or just the slow decay of our bodies. He writes in such a way that sometimes we forget that our God is real. And the fact that he's with us is like, yeah, that's, that's something great, but I don't really feel it. And the psalmist writes so that we can be encouraged and, and feel it. Okay, so Psalm 46. So the next slide. God is our refuge during catastrophic upheavals in creation. You can flip to the next one. You'll see the verses up there. It says, God is our refuge and strength. And you can flip. It'll just highlight the phrases. So if I flip through the next phrase, um, you can just kind of follow along. Otherwise, you can catch up. So the, the superscript, for the choir director, Song of Sons of Korah, set to Alamoth. This is written by the Sons of Korah. Alamoth, I'm going to move quickly through this, um, is uh, either sung at a high register for sopranos or for the young girls. Young girls sing at a high register. What that does to help us to understand the song, not a whole lot. It does help you to sing the song if you knew the tune, but it's a song, okay? So in the next one, God is our refuge and strength. And it starts with just a statement. And this is significant. God is our refuge and strength. Refuge, he's our protector. He's the one that shields us. Shields us from our enemies. Shields us from the attacks. Protects us so that we, we won't lose. And then he's our strength. He's the power in us that works in us to do what he wants us to do, okay? This is not strength for you to go and, you know, as a, as a young Asian man, I used to say, you know, if I, could, if I could dunk a basketball, that would totally change my basketball game. It's not power to do that or jump across the Grand Canyon or anything like that. This is strength to do what God wants, okay? So it's strength to do it when, as we're going to talk about, when it seems impossible to do. When you don't feel like you have the strength to do it. This is strength for that. He's our protector and he strengthens you. He protects you against the attacks and he strengthens you to do what he wants you to do. Now, to stop there and say, oh, and then uh, a very help, present help in trouble. That either means he's, he's very present like he's right next to you to help you whenever you're in trouble. Or the idea is, his, present, his help is very abundant to be found. So whenever you're in trouble, he, he's either right next to you or the help is so abundant that you're overwhelmed by his help. Okay? Either way, I think it, you come out to the same thing. He helps you. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Now, I would stop and ask you, is this your God? Now, I know most of you, or would, I would assume, or the people that I know, would say, yes, he is my God. But then the sons of Korah don't let us just think in our heads that, yes, I believe that God is my refuge and strength, or even say as a statement, just with words, God is a refuge and strength, because the next phrase, there's a therefore. There's a logical outflow of, if this is your God, then this should be true. Okay? Now, what should be true? It says, therefore, we will not fear. We won't be afraid. We won't be afraid that God's promises won't come true. We won't be afraid to do what's necessary, to talk to who we need to talk to, say the things that we need to say, to, don't, to not say the things that we want to say. We won't be afraid to do exactly what God wants us to do, no matter what it costs. Is this you? It's not me all the time. And that's why we come back to you. I praise God that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Because yes, I want this God to be my God, and he is my God. He is my refuge. He is my strength. But sometimes I'm afraid. I shrink back. And I don't do all the things that God wants me to do. But nevertheless, he says, therefore, we will not fear. This, if this is our God, we have ample reason to live fearless Christian lives of sacrificial love like Jesus. And he says, okay, well, I can live fearlessly in certain situations. Like my wife is really afraid of snakes. 
And I can stand in front of that plexiglass and like, I have no fear. The glass not there, I'm just like my wife, running, screaming like a little girl. But the glass there, I'm fine. She's like, ooh. So there's some situation we can say, oh yeah, I can live fearlessly, but again, the sons of Korah don't let, let us just stay there, he says. And you can see the next one, though. There's four of those. Here are the circumstances when we should be fearless. It says, though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and though the mountains quake at its swelling pride and then Salah, this is the pause. So what is he describing? You can flip to the next one. The first verse, next one. In verse two is an earthquake. Though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, okay? The thing that is so stable like a mountain just slips into the heart of the sea. Or the next one, which you see is the tsunami. The waters roar and foam, and then the mountains also quake or totter at its swelling pride. And then the sons of Korah put in the Salah, most likely a pause, just to stop. Okay, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore, I shouldn't be afraid, even if there's a catastrophic earthquake or tsunami. In our recent history, we've had a great visual illustration of that in Sendai. So you can flip to the next one. Just to remind you of pictures that you might have seen, it said that the earthquake was so big that the coastline shifted like a foot or something like that. Next one. The tsunami came in. You can kind of see that. You can see cars. See the tops of the cars, the windows of the cars? They would float down the street like twigs. Next one. And then the next one. Just to put that in your head, if you are a believer at Sendai, during the earthquake and then the tsunami, knowing that God is your refuge and strength, would you not fear? Because you shouldn't, is what the psalmist says. Because our God is so real that no matter if a catastrophic upheaval in creation happens, you and I don't need to be afraid. If the mega earthquake hits, we don't need to be afraid. Our God still protects us. Our God still strengthens us to do exactly what he wants. And he's there to help you abundantly as if he's right there next to you. Next. Now, this next section, our refuge during staggering opposition. Um, this is just a guess because we don't really have a whole lot of context, but, um, but my guess at the historical background of this is, uh, uh, is, is a guess. But I think it's a good guess, and uh, leave, uh, leave that to you for you to decide. But let's go through just what the text says. It says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. So there's a, there's a waterway, okay, that goes through a city, the city of God. Well, what is that city? That city is described further as the holy dwelling places of the Most High. Okay? So it's where the Most High dwells. Okay? That's plain and obvious. Hopefully you can see that. Then, verse 5, and then it says, God is in the midst of her, the city. She will not be moved. So God is in the middle. So then, because God is in the middle, she's not going to move. And then, next phrase, God will help her when morning dawns. When morning dawns. And you're going to keep that kind of tucked into your brain because they're going to fill in a lot of background and try and put the pieces together, okay? So then, this city with God in the middle of her, God will help her when morning dawns. Why does this city need help? Well, in verse 6, it describes the nations made an uproar, the kingdoms tottered. So there's these nations, plural, that are in an uproar. And then these kingdoms totter. And then if you look back at verse uh, 3 where it says the mountains quake, that's the same word. Then, so these nations are there. Then he, he raised his voice, the earth melted. And then this chorus, this, this rep- repetition of verse 7 and also verse 11. Yahweh of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Okay? So, again, just to review... There's, there's a waterway, there's a river that goes through a city, the city of God, where God dwells, the Most High dwells. But 
God is in the middle of her, so therefore she will not be moved. God will help this city when morning dawns. Now, there's a bunch of nations that are in uproar, but then the kingdoms tottered. God raises his voice, the earth melts, and then this chorus, Yahweh is with us. The Lord of hosts is our stronghold, okay? That's hopefully plain for you to see. So let me try and fill in some of the suggested background. If you can flip to the next one. Next one, please. So what I would suggest to you that this is the city of God, Jerusalem, where the Most High dwells. During the time where it was under siege by the Assyrian Empire and Sennacherib, who is the king of Assyria, okay? So I'm going to fill in a little bit of Old Testament history for you. So let's go through this. I'm going to show you pictures of either um, uh, architectural things, just again, just to remind you that our God is real. Okay, so next one. So let's talk about a military siege. I said it was a siege. So what is a siege? According to the great source of Wikipedia, a siege is a military blockade designed to win and destroy a city by attrition. That means starve them or uh, starve them out or uh, have them uh, have no water and dehydrate them. Okay, so you can read through that. Look it up on Wikipedia. Just keep flipping through. Keep going. Keep going to the next. So you're surrounding the target, blocking provisions. Keep going. Thank you. So this is a picture of an artist of drawing of the Assyrian Empire. So what you see on the bottom here is uh, Assyrians with their typical cone-shaped helmets, and they have archers on the bottom, and then, um, and then what you see in the middle is a, a siege uh, ram. And so then they batter through the uh, battering ram that go through the wall. Okay? Now, next one. The next one. And here's another one. Okay? And so you see that kind of uh, uh, inclined plane? That is called a siege ramp. That's what, you know, general military strategy, they built that. They just piled dirt on top of each other to get higher on the wall, right? So for those of you who are into military strategy, if you're higher, you always have the advantage. So if you come on even ground, then you, you even up the odds. Okay, so next one. This is Masada, okay? So this is later in time than the Assyrians, okay, about, you know, five, six hundred years, but just a, a real vivid illustration. So you can actually visit here. So this is Masada on the, on the, uh, on the I can't remember, I think it's the west side. On the west side, there's a snake that goes up about, uh, climbs up about 1,000 feet. On the east side, it's not as steep. There's about three or 400 feet. And so this snake path goes up, and, and this, is, this is great. This is a fortress on top. And the only way up, really, is through the snake path. And you, you go basically to a single-file line or two people. And so that's really easy. You, you, dis, you decrease the, the strength of the army down to you know, two. So they can only attack two or one at a time. And you just pick them off really easily. So you can stay up there forever. On the other side is just sheer cliff, 300-foot wall. No one's going to climb that. If they do, you could, it's a lot easier. Okay? So next slide. So... This is during the time of the Maccabeans, and uh, so right in the Roman Empire around 70 A.D., after 70 A.D., uh, these uh, zealots hold up there. They, they conquered the Roman uh, cohort up there, and so they built this. And so next slide. Sorry, it's... You see that little black dot up here? That's a person. That's 300 feet. So you know what the Roman Empire did for two years? They attacked from the front, and they started building this dirt siege ramp, bucket by bucket, 300 feet. They were really committed. Because the idea is, listen, all your farmland, all your food, all your water is outside. Sure, your protection is inside, but you have no food and water. You just wait them out. Just wait them out. And so if you've seen, you know, Lord of the Rings, I always call it the horse fort. It's uh, Helm's Deep. I just remembered, right? Helm's Deep. Helm's Deep is a great, vivid illustration of siege and holding up. Okay? Now, next slide. Again, just to show you that this is real military strategy. Next, well, I want to show you Sennacherib. Remember, Sennacherib is the king of Assyria. Just got to keep it all together, okay? I'll put it all together if I can. Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, they found this prism. You can see a, a picture of that on your left. And so he, he wrote about himself, okay? You know what kings write about themselves? They basically say this, I am so great. Let me tell you how great I am. That's basically what he says. 
Okay? Now, this is significant for Christians in affirming to our faith, and this doesn't prove that the Bible is true, but it just affirms that it's true. For a long time, archaeologists around the world said, Hezekiah during the, the Assyrian time, we have nothing about Hezekiah. If he, is, he's, he was a significant king in Israel, we see nothing about that. So then, therefore, the Bible's not true. Well, they, for years, they would say that until they found the prism of Sennacherib. And it mentions Hezekiah. And so what it describes is Assyria comes in through northern Israel and starts to take away Syria, um, took away the northern kingdom of Israel because were, uh, Israel was uh, disobedient. So they start to come south. And it describes him coming in and destroying 46 strong cities, one of them being Lachish, which we'll find out about. But then, as you read it, they conquered by stamp earth ramps and battering ramps, right? Siege. And then himself talking about Hezekiah, I made a prisoner in Jerusalem, his royal residence like a bird in a cage. Now, if you kind of read through that and kind of read through the political spin, Sennacherib destroyed 46 cities in the north. But did he destroy Jerusalem? No, he did not. But you don't say that, right? 46 and 1, right? 146, 1, tie maybe. You don't say that because I am so great. I'm so great. I destroyed the 46 and I made him a prisoner. Spin, political spin. Next. This is a picture of the Syrian empire, okay? Down here. You can see Jerusalem, Samaria. It stretches all the way across the, the uh, Mesopotamia. You can see the Tigris, Euphrates River. Let me give you, this would be like um, China, Russia, and Eastern Europe attacking California. Okay? That would be kind of the, the scale, I'm guessing. Okay? This is huge. This was the known world at the time attacking just a little bitty nation called Israel and even just the northern part. Okay? Now, next slide. Next, I want to put in the, the piece of Hezekiah's tunnel. Remember, we're talking about King Hezekiah. He's the king of Israel during the time, and he was a genius. He was a genius. You know why? One of the things that he did was build Hezekiah's tunnel. Because one of the problems in all those cities is water is always on the outside. Always. But what he did is says, you know what? Forget them drinking our water. We're going to stop up the springs, the free-flowing springs on the outside so they can't drink it, and we're going to run it through. You know how he did that? Well, he did that, Esther, and you'll see it. We don't have time to read this. Uh, I can email you the PowerPoint if you want to read it. Next one. This is a kind of a cutaway of the city of Jerusalem. It's on a hill. You see how it kind of does these crazy S-turns on the right? Uh, the springs of uh, Gihon, free-flowing springs that they stopped up. At the bottom left, pools of Siloam, inside the city walls. They started on both ends, before GPS, before walkie-talkies, before cell phones, before any of that technology. All they had, before pneumatic drills, all they had was pickaxe, shovel, hammer, whatever. And if you think about the amazing feat of that, they could have missed each other like this and never known it. But what happened was, and they made all these crazy esterns, geologists said that they didn't even follow the softest rock. Sometimes they dug through the hardest rock. And then they met. And they said that they could hear each other's axes and they got encouraged and they kept going and then poof, the water started flowing. So next slide, just some pictures of that. So this is real, okay? This is real. This really happened. Hezekiah's tunnel is 1,750 feet long. Next one. If it followed a straight line, it would have been 40% shorter. Talk about government work, right? <laughs> Next slide. This is the Pool of Siloam where it ends out. Okay? I've walked through there. At some points, the ceiling is like 9, 10, 12 feet high. Why they did that, I have no idea. Why do they need to do that? Maybe they're like, no, we need to go lower. At some points, you have to kind of crouch, and the water comes up to your waist, all fresh water. Real. It happened. Really happened. 
So Hezekiah does this, okay? Next slide. Next slide, or next one. So at this point, we're going to fly through the biblical account of uh, Sennacherib's attack on, on Jerusalem, found in Isaiah 36, 2 Kings 18, uh, 18 and 19, 2 Chronicles 32, Isaiah 36 through 38. Okay? Isaiah 36 through 38 is uh, very similar. Second Chronicles is a summary. So I, I kind of pieced it all together, okay? just to give you the highlights. So I'm going to summarize through this really quickly. Okay? So it talks about Sennacherib. He's the king of Assyria. Hezekiah, he's the king. And so then what happens is, in the beginning, you know, Hezekiah is not an idiot. He knows, hey, look, there's no way we can stand up to Assyria, this king. So you know what? We're going to pay tribute to him. We're going to pay him off. So then it says, okay, first of all, what he did was he went to try and make allies with Egypt. Because, you know, Israel's the thoroughfare down to the south into Africa. And so if I make a pact with Egypt, if we have the common enemy, then we're friends, right? That's the thinking. That didn't work. And so Hezekiah's like, oops, sorry. What do I have to do to, to you know, to make you happy? Sennacherim says, you know, end of verse 4, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. That doesn't sound like a lot because the numbers are really low. But look at what Hezekiah had to do. Verse 15, Hezekiah gave him all the silver which was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. And at that time, Hezekiah cut off the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord. Even if you don't understand what a talent translates into modern day, or even what that means, you got to be pretty hard up. If you're going to cut off doors just to pay a bill, cut off doorknobs just to pay a bill, that's like pulling out your gold fillings because you got to pay your electric bill, okay? That's how hard up he was. That's how much money he had to pay. Well, he paid it. Next slide. He paid it. Hezekiah says, okay, we're good. But Sennacherib says, thanks for the money. We're still coming to destroy you, okay? So then... Hezekiah says, okay, he's coming, so this is what we got to do. We rebuild the wall, fortify the soldiers, build these towers, and Hezekiah's tunnel. Next one. And then, when it was time to speak to the people, you know what he said? He said, be strong and courageous. But he doesn't, notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, hey, I know we're small, and he doesn't give the typical underdog, you know, rah-rah speech. We're underdogs. We can do it. We just stick together. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say trust in our military. He doesn't say trust in, I'm a, I'm a genius. I've done something that no one else has done. I brought water into our walls. We can last for a long time. He doesn't say that. He says this, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dismayed because of the king of Assyria, nor because of all the horde that is with him. For the one, what? Say it with us is greater than the one with him. With him is only an arm of flesh, but with us is Yahweh our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people relied on the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Okay? But then it doesn't turn overnight. Night doesn't turn into day immediately. Next slide. It gets worse. So then Assyria comes and sends these, this envoy, this military envoy. They're up at Lachish north, and they send... A small portion of their army, 185,000 soldiers. Now, that kind of gives you a scale. If a small portion of your soldiers you send off down south to just kind of intimidate is 185,000, then the main force is huge, huge. So they do that. And they start this um, uh, psychological warfare. And basically, Rabshakeh and Rabsaras, they go. You can imagine them at the bottom of the wall talking to the people on guard on top of the wall. They say, hey, give up, give up now. And see, then these people, uh, these uh, leaders, Eliakim, Hilkiah, and all these people, they're saying, hey, stop speaking us in Hebrew. Because then everybody will understand. But that's what, exactly what they want. And so they say, the people rap Shaka, and they say, that's exactly what they want because we didn't just come to talk to you so you can talk to the king. We came to talk to everybody on the wall who's going to stand and defend this city. And if they do that, they need to know 
that they're going to drink their own urine and eat their own feces. Pretty graphic, right? And that instills fear. So they wanted everybody to be afraid. So then, next slide. So then what happens is uh, they start saying, hey, come make a bargain with us. Hey, you know what? Here's what we'll do, okay? Here's what we'll do. Hey, we'll leave, and you don't have to be walled up in your city anymore. So cramped, tight, inconvenient. And guess what? You can leave the city walls, and you can go back to your house, your own house. Hey, you know what? You can go back to the comforts of your own farm and vineyards. Go back and eat from your own vineyards, drink your own water. You don't have to do this. And you know, just a little time later, guess, you know, we'll just come by and we'll take you away. Oh, but you know what? We'll take you away to a land just like your own. Just like your own. They're trying to sell deportation. They're trying to sell, hey, become our prisoner of war. Anybody want to sign up? He says, if you don't, we will destroy you. And they even taunt them. He says, hey, we'll give you some horses. We'll give you horses if you have men to ride them, which you don't because your army stinks. So next one. So then, then they start to say, kind of twist theology. He says, you know what? Your God told us to come and destroy you. You know, and that's actually half true. But not for the reasons why they came. But he did send, God did send the Assyrians. And they said, listen, we've destroyed all these gods. Where are their gods? How can your gods stand up? So if you're going to trust Hezekiah, who's saying to you, trust in the Lord, trust in Yahweh your God, those are empty words. Don't trust him. Don't dare do that because you'll be destroyed. Just come with us. Next slide. So then, next slide. So then, no one said a thing. And they, this envoy, Hilkiah, Eliakim, they go to Hezekiah. Hezekiah then sends word to Isaiah the prophet. Okay? As Isaiah comes back and says this. Next slide. They say to Isaiah, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of distress, rebuke and rejection for children have come to birth, and there is no strength to deliver. Perhaps the Lord your God. Notice that the dust of life, the Assyrian army, became so thick, He doesn't say, the Lord my God. He says, perhaps the Lord your God, Isaiah, will hear all the words of Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God and will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, offer a prayer for the remnant that is left. So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah. Next slide. Then Isaiah said to them, you shall say to your master, thus says the Lord, do not be afraid. Sound familiar? Because of the words that you have heard, with which the servants of the kings of Assyria have blasphemed, behold, I will put a spirit in him, so that he will hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. So then, what happens is, there's a rumor that goes out. And so then, the army shifts over and leaves. Okay? So for Hezekiah and the people of Israel, the dust of life became so thick, they said, ah, It doesn't seem like God is our God anymore, but we'll pray. We'll pray anyway. So they do. And as Isaiah says, you know what? They're going to turn away. And they do. But then they come back. Next one. And do the same thing. Same psychological warfare. Next slide. We just kind of keep moving through. And they write a letter this time. And so they bring the letter to to Hezekiah. And this time Hezekiah by himself goes to the temple you know, rips his clothes, throws ash on him, and just repenting, and just falls down before the, in the temple of the Lord and prays. No one else is there this time. But then, when Hezekiah prays to God, God speaks to Isaiah, and Isaiah comes and gives him the message. Isn't that great? When no one else is around. When it's you and all your problems, as it were, written in the letter. And you fall down on your face before God and you pray to him. He answers you. He answers you. And this was his answer for Hezekiah. Next. 
Hezekiah says, they've destroyed all these people. Yes. Lord, I pray, deliver us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, O, o Lord, are God. Now, next. So then Isaiah comes back and says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because you have prayed to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard you. This is the word that the Lord has spoken against him. And so then the Lord speaks in behalf of Israel. He says, She, Israel, has despised you and mocked you. This little bitty country, Israel, spits in your face, Assyria. Why? Because you've blasphemed and you have reproached against whom have you raised your voice? When you come against my people, God says, you've come against me. Next. Through your messengers, you have reproached the Lord, and you have said, With many chariots I came up to the heights of the mountains, to the remotest parts of Lebanon. I cut down its tall cedars and its choice cypresses, and I entered its farthest lodging place, its thick forest. I dug wells, drank foreign waters, and with the sole of my feet I dried up all the rivers of Egypt. Have you not heard? Long ago, I did it, God says. He says, Listen, Sennacherib, the reason why you can have all this victory, because I planned it long ago. I am the king of kings. From ancient times, I planned it. Now I brought it to pass that you should turn fortified cities into ruinous heaps. Next. Therefore, their inhabitants were short of strength. They were dismayed and put to shame. They were as the vegetation of the field and as a green herb, as grass on the housetops is scorched before it's grown up. But I know you're sitting down and you're going out and you're coming in and you're raging against me. He says to the most powerful king of the land, he says, listen, the only reason why you had any victory is because of me. The only reason why all those people f- were afraid and fell down before you like grass, God says, is because of me. It's not because of you, he says to Sennacherib. And even though you are the most powerful man in, on the earth at that time, you still answer to me, God says. You still answer to me. I know you're going out and you're coming in, and I know you're raging against me. Next. Because of your raging against me and because your arrogance has come up to my ears, therefore, this is great, I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips and I will turn you back by the way which you came. This is awesome. You know, you know uh, what you put a hook in the nose and a bridle in the mouth? A cow. God, through Isaiah to Hezekiah, is saying to the most powerful man on the planet. You are my cow. I will turn you wherever I want. Next. It says, this will be a sign. God gives them a sign of how these things are going to happen. And eventually it comes to pass. Now, next slide. So then, verse 35. Then it happened that night that the angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when men, what? Rose early in the morning. Kind of sounds familiar? Behold, all of them were dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned to his home and lived at Nineveh. And then he died because some people killed him. It was a coup. Now, why is all this significant? Next slide. Why is all this significant? Let me read verse 4 through 7 again. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. I would suggest that that's poetic language talking about Hezekiah's tunnel. The holy dwelling of the Most High. But listen, the trust was not in that or the walls or the soldiers or the towers. Who is in the middle of the city? God. Yes, Hezekiah's tunnel ran through the middle of the city to the pools of Siloam. And it makes the city glad. But what was significant is God is in the middle. That's why they weren't moved. That's why they wouldn't totter. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. Then the kingdoms tottered. 185,000 were destroyed in one night by one angel of the Lord. No sword was raised, no shield was raised, no arrow was shot, but 185,000 people died. Because God raised his voice 
and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Next. Sons of Korah, why talk about all this? Why talk about God as our refuge and strength, even though there's earthquakes and tsunamis, we won't, we won't need to be afraid? Why talk about this city under siege against some overwhelming opposition? There's no way that they could win, but yet they won. Why talk about that? Because he wants to remind us, come, behold our victorious Lord of hosts. Next. Next one. In verse 8, he says, Come, behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolations in the earth. Just, now, the, the question that commentators have is, who's, who's being talked to, right? You know, sometimes, you know, it used to be said to me as an unbeliever, it says, be still and know that God is God. And that's true, right? You know, people distract themselves with radio, music, TV, all that stuff. And then you just don't take time to think about who God is. And that's true. So, then the question is, is this for, like, the Assyrians? Is this for the Babylonians later, if they sung this later? Be still and know that God is God. Or the other option is, this is for the people of God. And they sing to each other, Come, behold the works of the Lord. You people of God, stop. Cease striving. And know that God is God. It's the second one. Because this is a song of the people of God. The song of Israel, written by the sons of Korah. And they would sing this to each other. So, they say, Who is this Lord? Who is this Yahweh? Well, look at what he does. He, he has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. This is worldwide peace. Worldwide peace. But it's not peace through diplomacy, right? Peace through diplomacy is, hey, I'll agree not to f- shoot at you as long as you agree not to shoot at me. But if, if I get a chance, I'll shoot at you. Because I still want to win. God doesn't make peace by diplomacy. He makes peace by victory. See, it says, He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Now, if you're talking military strategy, the only way that you can take your enemy's weapons and break them and burn them is if you win. This is how God makes peace. He wins. He destroys and conquers all of his enemies. All of his enemies. So then, verse 10. This is the be still, cease striving, leave off, and know that God is God. What are you going to know? He's going to win. He says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Listen. It might seem that believing in God and being a Christian is like, is that, that God and Jesus are being kicked up and down the street by every little dinky idol religion. Muslim, you know, Islam seems to grow seemingly without stopping. Mormons, you see more of them on their bikes and whatever. People are more and more hostile to Christianity. In Canada, get this, in Canada, a pastor preaches what the Word of God says about homosexual, homosexuality being a sin, and he's put in prison. In Canada. I didn't think Canadians stood for anything. Ah, that's a joke. But, but it might seem like that. It might seem like in your family, in your marriage, for you to keep on doing what God wants you to do doesn't seem to work. It doesn't seem to bring the results. Where is this victory? Where is this peace, God? Even just in my family. Even just in my home. Where? Where is it? And the sons of course say, just stop. Be still. And keep on trusting. Don't give up. Because God is our refuge and strength. Be still and know that God is God. And he will be exalted among the nations. He will win. It's not useless to trust in Jesus. And trust in God. It's not useless. 
You will not be ashamed. Don't be afraid that you'll end up on the other side and say, ah, just wasted your life. What you waste your life trusting in the Bible for? Don't be afraid. Because God will win. Verse 11, then the chorus. Yahweh of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. So, in the closing minutes that we have, let me ask a few questions. Next. Who or what is your refuge and strength when these things are in turmoil? Just a test for you. Who or what is your protection and your strength when these things are in turmoil? Your finances? If you got sucker punch in the gut by the stock market, by Dow Jones, who was your refuge and strength? Or what was your refuge and strength? How about with your children? Visits to the emergency room lately? Who is your refuge and strength? Any of you unemployed? Who's your refuge and strength? Are you trusting in God or are you afraid of the fiscal cliff? Next. What are you going to do? What are you going to do when your health is gone? And I say when, not if. Right? If God gives you years, you're just on a downhill slide. Listen, I'm not that old. But if Francis feels old, then I'm, I'm older. And even now, I'm starting to realize, hey, things don't work like they used to. Can't do this like I used to. Can't do that like I used to. I can't eat like I used to. And it's just going to keep going downhill. So what are you going to do when you're lying on the hospital bed? Maybe you have cancer. Chemo's going through you. You've lost your hair. What are you going to do? You're going to look for better days? Your health to turn around? That's not a good bet. God might heal you, and he is powerful enough to do that. I don't doubt that at all. But everybody's going to die unless Jesus comes. So what are you going to do? Who do you turn to? When your finances are in trouble, do you turn to your rich aunt or whatever? Next, what are you going to do if you lose your job? Next, what are you going to do if Social Security fails? What are you going to do next if the economy fails? Next, if your spouse or kids die? If there's an earthquake? What are you going to do when you stand before a holy God as a sinner? Because remember, our greatest enemy and our greatest need to be protected from is the wrath of God upon sinners. What are you going to do? What are you going to do when you eventually stand before him and your life is opened up in a book and every thought, every deed, every word that you say is examined perfectly by a just and holy God? What are you going to do? Who are you going to turn to? What excuse are you going to make? Next. Or when your sin is exposed. And I talked about that a little bit later, but, but, but let's back it up. Just in your life, you're going through life and you're sinning. And either by God's grace you recognize your own sin and it's exposed, or a Christian brother or sister comes and confronts you and exposes your sin, or God forbid that you're just continuing on in sin and you're found out. What are you going to do? Who's going to protect you then? Hopefully your answer is, I will fly to Jesus. When you stand before God as a holy judge, you say, I've come to your son. And though I don't deserve it, one iota I don't deserve it at all. I've come to him because he's called me and he's promised to wash me of my sins. 
And he said he would cover me and protect me and be my refuge from your just and holy, terrible wrath, O God. And I've come to him. I've turned away from all other things and I've turned to him only. And God the Father will say, come and enter into the joy of my rest. And that's what we do. As a Christian, listen, if you continue to walk as a Christian, you will continue to have your sins exposed, hopefully just by God's grace, just by yourself, maybe by your wife in a loving way. Hopefully you won't just be so committed and trenched into your sin that you have to be found out and exposed and disciplined that way. We're sharing around um, uh, New Year's and things that we're thankful for, and one of the things that one person said is, I'm thankful that God chooses to use my loving wife to chasten me from my sin as opposed to some other thing. That is a gentle correction from a loving wife. And he says, I'm so thankful for that. And one, one child said, I'm thankful for my mom who does the same for me because it could be a lot harder. But even then, what do you do? Do you run to your discipline? Oh, just got to just flex my spiritual muscles all the more. Do you do that? I'm not saying that you shouldn't be disciplined, okay? That's not it. Because remember, Hezekiah built the wall. He built Hezekiah's tunnel. He had fortified his military. But at the end of the day, where was his trust? His trust in the Lord our God. So you fly to Jesus. Say, oh God, I don't want to do this anymore. And I don't deserve your grace. I don't deserve your mercy. I deserve to die right here on the spot and then be judged for an eternity in hell. But I will fly to Jesus, your son. Because it is a trustworthy statement that you can take to the bank and bank your eternal soul upon that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. He didn't come to save the righteous. He came to save sinners. So you can come to him while there's still time. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus and he is not your treasure and you have not turned to him, I would beg you, turn to him and find your protection and strength in him because there is the wrath of God that is coming. And I implore you, kiss the son lest he be angry with you and judge you. For those of you who are believers, just remind you, the Lord of hosts is with us. Don't turn to some other thing or some other person that is far less than God to protect you and strengthen you. Remind yourself, God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, I have ample reason not to be afraid, ample reason to rejoice and be thankful 10,000 upon 10,000 reasons to give thanks and to keep on going because Yahweh of hosts is with me and with us. So, with that, let's close in a word of prayer. Let's close in a word of prayer. Oh God, I'd ask that you would again richly encourage this congregation here. I pray that you would encourage them to see Christ as their greatest treasure because he is the only one who will save them from their sins. He is the only one who is a who is a refuge from the just wrath of God. Oh, what a great great thought a blissful thought the son of God has taken our sins away placed them upon himself and he bore the wrath that we deserve for us oh God if you did not spare your own son but offered him up freely for us all how will you not with him give us freely all things that we need? So God, help us to know that you are with us.
you're with us to protect us and strengthen us along the way the times that seems long and weary so difficult at times God you're there with us to lead us as a faithful shepherd we thank you for that thank you for the confidence to know that the things of our lives are just small compared to our sin before you and if you did not spare your own son God, blessed thought, if you did not spare your own son, how will you not freely with him give us all things? Oh God, thank you. Thank you that you protect us and strengthen us and that we can stand against the overwhelming opposition of Satan and all his demonic horde, the world and its system, even our own sinful flesh, we can stand against him in Christ continuing to fly to him as our refuge, our savior, our king. Thank you. Richly encourage us towards that end for your glory. In Christ's name.